We the people. We the people. We Congress shall make no law. Second Amendment. No law. Second Amendment. No Second Amendment. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. And now, your host, Tony Ashcraft. Hey, welcome to Bullet Points, Second Amendment Talk, and more. Coming to you live from the Associated Credit Union of Texas Studios here at Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft. Happy Second Amendment Tuesday to you. we got a great show for you today. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things, man. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the FN Scar and uh, their new offering. We're going to talk about some new things from Kimber, which is a company we don't get to talk about uh, too much on this show. But uh, before we get to that, I've got a special guest in the studio today, and that is Ed Vandenberg of Vandenberg Customs. Ed, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you being here. Uh, we're going to get to Ed and what he does and how he does it. Now, uh, Ed's been in and around uh farms for quite a number of years and uh ed is uh ed is a master at getting the best out of a farm and uh and we're gonna talk about uh uh you know more accuracy a better better functioning gun and and just some interesting aspects of firearm design ballistics gas systems so we're really going to geek out today so you guys are going to want to uh, hang around and, and listen to this because uh, it, it's it's something interesting that I like to talk about and uh, we just don't get the opportunity to to talk with somebody that has the knowledge that Ed does so he's uh, we're we're uh, we're lucky to have him with us in the studio he's gonna he's gonna share share the secrets with us today and we'll see what I can get out of him but uh, let's uh, I want to remind you you guys watch on YouTube uh, we appreciate it uh, like subscribe and share always appreciate that and uh, as a reminder if you want to follow us the vinyl draft radio app available for iOS or Android you can catch uh, vinyl draft radio the original right here that you're listening to bullet points on uh, also vinyl draft country vinyl draft Texas in the not too distant future vinyl draft classic also vinyl draft radio Radio.com, VinylDraftRadio.com. You can stream us live 24-7. So let's get to the firing line. Uh, FN SCAR. You know, everybody knows the FN SCAR. It's pretty cool. Uh, specifically, the SCAR 17, uh, semi-automatic 308. It's been on the market for uh, a handful of years, and it's an extraordinarily popular platform. And, uh, you know, uh, I've always thought that the... Uh, the SCAR-17, as far as an off-the-shelf semi-automatic 308, it's a it's a pretty good offering. It's a pretty solid gun. Uh, I've always been a fan of the SCAR-17. Um, but, you know, if you wanted, if you think about the 308 cartridge and its ballistic capability, it's designed to get a little bit further than the SCAR-17 platform is capable of doing. So if you wanted to make your SCAR-17 uh, reach out a little bit further or be a little bit more accurate, uh, it's difficult. You can't just uh, get on the Internet and start looking for scar barrels. You know, you'd have to go see somebody like Ed and have him make you one. Um, but it's not, you know, I say that because it's not as easy as an AR-15. You know, if you've got an AR-15 and 5.56 and you've got just a generic off-the-shelf barrel and you think, well, I want to change calibers or I want a different barrel material or I want a different twist rate or, you know, I want to get a more accurate barrel to induce more accuracy out of the platform I have. 
I mean, you can get on any number of sites out there. You can order a barrel, and you know, most of you guys listening, you, you're capable of making a barrel change uh, in your garage. It's it's fairly easy to do, but with the scar, uh, it's not like that. Um, it's a it's a be a lot more difficult process. So uh, for 2019, the uh, FN has uh, brought us the the scar. 20, I think it's the SCAR 20C is what they call it. So it's the same essential platform as the SCAR that we're used to. Uh, the The differences is, um, one of the difference, big differences, they have um, uh, they have a, an adjustable stock on there. You can adjust the length of pull and the uh, the comb height on the uh, on the stock. It comes with a hoe grip. So, you know, hoe grip, big deal. Um, it also comes with a Geisley Super Scar trigger for whatever that's worth, but you know it's uh, it's it's better than the old stock trigger. But the uh, the biggest improvement to the Scar is the a cold hammer forged one in twelve twist twenty inch barrel. So uh, that's gonna uh, they they bill it as a precision rifle, and I know the word precision gets kicked around a lot um, in the gun industry these days. It's kind of a buzzword, but um, I haven't got a chance to test one of these because they're they're really really new. Uh, but I'm curious to to see how well it's going to perform because again the uh, you know the Scar 17 is is such a fantastic platform. Uh, so hopefully the Scar 20 will uh, will live up to uh, the hype as anticipated. So um, the other thing I want to add about the Scar 20 platform is I'm glad to see that uh, that FN is is moving forward and offering some uh, um, you know some some innovation and some answers to what consumers want, you know, because again, the precision rifle uh, category is kind of, you know, there's a bunch of manufacturers making stuff for, you know, that are, they're more accurate, get a little bit better range. It's sort of, that's another segment of the market that's evolving. So it's good to see FN uh, doing that. Now, the only hitch to this thing um, is the price. The MSRP on it is $4,499. $4,500, that's American money. That's a lot of money, $4,500. Um, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things that, uh, I mean, if you're, look, if you're just after an accurate 308, just you want that caliber and you're not, you're not so set to, to bolt action or semi-auto and you don't care about any of that other stuff, you can, you can put something together for uh, less money than $4,500. But the SCAR is a unique platform. Again, very cool. You know, it's still got the monolithic rail system on it. It's a it, it's a nice, it's a unique platform, and you know, it's an FN scar. So there is a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, prestige, I guess, for lack of a better word. But uh, that's still a big hunk of money. Still a big old hunk of money. So uh, I'd, I'd be curious to see how you know this is another one of those things. A year from now, um, we're talking about it again. Let's see where the street price lands. You know, after MSRP, after the market kind of softens up a little bit. And uh, we'll see where demand goes and uh, see how this thing works out. The other thing I want to talk about is um, is our friends at Kimber. So I don't talk about Kimber too much because, you know, you guys know I hate 1911s, but uh, that's just me. But, you know, Kimber is a company. They've been around for a good while and they've always made good products. I think personally, I think they're a little bit overpriced. But again, that's just me. It's, you know, if you're spending your money, you spend it on what you think you ought to buy. But um Kimber, interestingly enough, for 2019, has gotten into, you ready for this, a, a striker-fired pistol. 
Yeah. Did you ever think you'd see a striker fired pistol from Kimber? No. Uh, I mean, yeah, Ed's laughing because and I it I had to you know I had to look at it twice before. So they're doing a striker fired pistol, and uh, you know it's got about the same um, footprint, give or take, as uh, Smith and Wesson, the M and P nine, the Shield nine, that we're all used to. That's very popular. Uh, the big difference about it is. Um, Instead of a polymer, oh, look at that. Hey, instead of a polymer frame, it's an aluminum frame. So, you know, that would necessarily, in my mind, add a little bit more weight to it. And it actually only comes out at about an ounce more uh, than an MMP, which is, is interesting. So, depending on where that ounce of weight is, you may or may not be able to, you know, where that weight bias is in the gun, uh, it may not feel any, any heavier than the MMP. Um, so, you know, Kimber. Kimber makes a good quality product. They do. Uh, like I said, they're not my favorite, but that's just me. But uh, I mean, Kimber has a good reputation in the industry. So, striker fired man. That's uh, that's. <laughs> it, I, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think. I, I I think I'd like to see one. I think I'd like to shoot one. Um, where it gets a little fuzzy for me is I've always thought Kimber's been you know slightly overpriced, a little bit overpriced when when compared to the rest of the market. Um, and these striker fired guns kind of kind of follow in that same thought because they're they've got four different versions. You know, they have sort of a, a basic version. They have like a two tone, and they have a better basic, and they have a custom shop. MSRP starts starts at eight twenty nine and goes up to about eleven hundred bucks for a striker fired weapon. Now, if you consider our you know the 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 striker fired standards that are out there in the industry. You know, the M&P, the Springfield XD, and the Glock. Uh, well, hell, you know what? Throw the Canic in there, too, for that matter, if we're talking about guns that are that are in that sort of 500 to 650 maybe $700-ish range, you know, depending on on what you get, you know, night sights and whatnot, um, to start at 829 and climb to 1100 bucks. That's... Uh, that's a good bit more money, and for that much money, this better be a damn good gun. I mean, I it, I would have really, really high expectations out of a gun, a striker-fired weapon for that much money. I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about in the retail of the FN five hundred nine tactical, and now the street price of the FN five hundred nine tactical is down to you know eight fifty nine hundred bucks. I don't know. Again, Kimber, I can't see it from here, but. Um, We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Another one of those things, man, we'll have to revisit a year from now and, and see what the market says, you know, once it gets out there and whatnot and uh, and see how that goes. So, yeah, striker fired from uh, from Kimber. The other thing that Kimber is doing that I found interesting is, uh, you know, they started getting into the revolver market, um, you know, recently, uh, not real recently. I mean, they've, they've had some, uh, some revolvers out for a while, but they are – slowly expanding on that market they're making a few more offerings and uh it looks like they're going to um you know they're, they're taking a little bit of an aim at uh at smith and wesson and ruger you know smith has been sort of the you know the go-to company big blue's been you know where it's at for revolvers for quite some time and you know there's smith fans there's ruger fans um, but, uh, you know, they're getting, and again, they're a little bit higher than a comparable Smith, you know, by about, uh, one of the, 
I think it's the, the KS6 or KG6 revolver that they're coming out with. It's a nice gun. It looks like a great gun. And the, the revolvers that they've made, you know, people, nobody's been complaining about it. So, again, Kimber's quality is 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 good, um, but their price slightly higher than, than where Ruger's at, slightly higher than uh, where Smith is at for a comparable revolver. But the fact that they're they're getting into the market and they're becoming a little bit more aggressive about their market presence and giving consumers more choices. Um, and again, we can make the argument about where the value's at. Just because it costs a little bit more, I mean, maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not. Um, the, the market will tell. But I like that, um, you know, we've got another company with a good reputation um, that's been around for a while that's putting something else out to give us some more choices. More choices uh, leads to more competition. More competition leads to better pricing. And, you know, we throw a little innovation in there. And as consumers, that's good for all of us. So um, I can't really fault Kimber for that. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft. In the studio with me live is Ed Vandenberg of Vandenberg Customs. Now, Ed has been around for a long time and has a lot of experience in building guns and making guns accurate. And, um, you know, Ed and I were talking to the green room a little bit uh, before the show. And um, I think as we address here on Bullet Points, from time to time, there are some uh, some misnomers uh, in gun building and, and what makes for an accurate gun and what makes for a better gun. And uh, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to squeeze some secrets out of Ed. But, uh, Ed, you've been around since uh, – Vandenberg Customs has been around since 87. Correct. 87. That's, that's a long time. That's a long time. Yes, it is. Um, so hey, tell us about, you know, prior to 87, prior to Vandenberg Customs, what did Ed Vandenberg do? How did you sort of segue into uh, Vandenberg Customs? Well, um, I grew up in my stepfather's machine shop. It was a family business. He had been a machinist mate in the Navy starting in 1939. And so I was one of those mechanically inclined kids that, you know, I just gravitated to that industry. So from the time I was 12, 13 years old, I was operating milling machines and lathes and welding and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so as I got older and got interested in firearms and shooting and competitive shooting, I, uh, you know, I just naturally kind of gravitated to the, to the gunsmithing thing. So I, um, in 1982... I started doing an apprenticeship for a man named Ron Freshour down in Texas City. He was a custom rifle builder, and uh, he was building bolt-action 50 BMG-calibered rifles back in the 70s. I mean, now, you know, there's tons of manufacturers out there building 50s, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> he kind of pioneered a lot of that. Yeah, man, a bolt-action 50 BMG. I think we all need one of those in our closet. They are a rude dog to shoot. <laughs> I can only imagine, man. I've uh, been behind a Barrett or two and uh, uh, an LAR Grizzly, but in uh, you know, a bolt action would be just just ridiculous. So, um, you know what? You're you're a shooter. Um, when you're when you're putting together a rifle, if if a customer comes in and says, you know, rifle or even a pistol. Um, be it bolt action, be it gas operated, you know, AR, Remington 700, whatever it might be. When a customer comes in and says, hey, Ed, I want, build me a this with a that and a, and a one of these. Mm-hmm. What's your first question to them? And what do you, how do you, how do you, in other words, how do you approach putting together, 
you know, because I've always said on this, you know, this show that I think that, uh, that there are some gun shops out there that will tell the customer what they need. No, you need this. Right. But you Everybody's take a different approach. That. And yeah. And, and, and tell, tell folks about the approach that you take. You know, the first question I always ask folks is what's the intended purpose of the firearm? They generally have an idea of whether they want a bolt gun or an auto or, or whatever. But what I want to find out is what, what are they looking to do with the thing? And if I can find that out, then I can kind of talk to them about this versus that. What are the advantages of this? You know, how far are you going to shoot? What, what are you shooting at? You know, some people come in and they just they have no idea. And so I'll take time and, and try to get an idea of their expectations because it won't do me or the customer any good for me to produce something that they're not thrilled to death with. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that's very true. And I, I've said as much here that I think that a lot of times um, customers think they know what they want, but they don't actually know what they want or they have it in their head that that, that or then they might know what they want to do, but the method in which to get there via the firearm that they're about to have built or that they're going to purchase, uh, be it a retail or a custom built gun, um, you know, they get they're, they're, they get thrown off a little bit because there's so much, I don't know, there's, I don't there, know. There's too many options. I mean, you know, you, people will sometimes, if you overwhelm them with too many options, they'll defer and just, I just can't deal with this right now, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I try to give people a pretty wide range, but you can overwhelm folks. I mean, especially with ARs or, or even with uh, bolt rifles these days, there's so many different platforms. You know, uh, the, the chassis market has just exploded for bolt guns. And, you know, there, there used to just be one or two, and now there seems like there's a new one that comes out every week. You yeah. know, traditionally people were putting them either in a, you know, a Bell & Carlson Medalist or an HS Precision mm-hmm. or something like that, but now... You know, there's so many different, you know, Magpuls and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I was surprised that Magpul was making rifle chat. It just, it just seems weird to me. They're, they're actually a pretty good quality part. And, um, you know, the, the bottom metal option on it where you can do detachable box, a lot of people gravitate towards that as well. Yeah, it's a, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. The, uh, the uh, you know, and I would, in the first segment when I alluded to the word precision, I think the precision, precision rifle market has really – really come around in the last couple of years because there are more and more manufacturers that are making, you know, retail off the shelf, out of the box, quote unquote, precision rifles. But, you know, when we're talking about building a rifle for accuracy, be it a bolt gun or an AR, you know, tell tell us about what, you know, in your experience and, and what you've done and you've built a, I mean, you've built a ton of guns, mm-hmm. just a ton. Yeah. Um, so what goes into the design of what what's one of the things that folks might not know about uh, building accuracy in a rifle? Because and before you answer, I'll say that that, you know, when we go out and buy a retail gun, uh, even if a, even if a, a, a gun manufacturer market markets the weapon as something accurate or, you know, a precision or whatever the term there is they're using, they're not very specific. They're making a gun that's going to be pretty good for most of the people most of the time right and and it seems like everyone today is talking about minute of angle accuracy you know we're guaranteed minute of angle accuracy Mm -hmm. quite honestly a free-floated barrel ar-15 with pretty much anybody's barrel will shoot minute of angle and that's that's not that big of a stunt right and and most sporting rifles these days whether it's a, a ruger savage browning remington Almost all of them, if they if they don't have a, a lot of stock stress, then they'll generally shoot into a minute of angle. But you know, there's people that want 
to go beyond that. They want to get down into the quarter-minute angle accuracy kind of realm, and that's, that's what really challenges shooters. Most people, especially if they're deer hunters or pig hunters, they need minute of whitetail accuracy. You know, if they if they can hit uh, if they can hit a six inch circle at a hundred yards, hey, they're in. They're good, right? But there's some folks that need need levels of accuracy far beyond that. Uh, uh, customers that are law enforcement uh, SWAT snipers, and they've got to put that round exactly where it goes mm-hmm. every single time. And then there's there's people that are competitive shooters. They're shooting really far distances. Uh, I've got customers that shoot one mile matches, and for them. Yeah, a minute of angle would be not e- not even competitive. Yeah, it'd be insane. Wouldn't be anywhere near that. Right. So when you're talking about uh, getting, well, let's say that you know a, a one a one MOA gun, which again is is nothing. I mean, back in the day, it used to be oh that's that's pretty good, but now it, what doesn't shoot? You know, right, but, right. We, know, we, we've moved way beyond that. Yeah, but we really that, have. that seems to be the where, where uh, people that are marketing this stuff consider precision. Minute of angle, oh, that's our precision. Yeah, it's, a, it's a relative term. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, really is. So when you're building a barrel for somebody, uh, what goes into increasing that, uh, or decreasing, rather, that, that minute of angle mark that, that we're used to seeing? Okay, so uh, depending on what I'm building a barrel for, you know, we'll, we'll talk to the customer about, you know, um, do they want, you know, stainless, carbon steel, what twist rate do they want, you know, obviously what caliber do they want it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to gravitate towards shilling barrel blanks just because I've had such good service out of them over all these years. But people have almost religious beliefs about, you know, some guys will only shoot a Krieger or they'll only shoot a Rock Creek or they'll only shoot a Lilja or Pacnor or fill in the blank. Because those beliefs are religious in nature, I won't argue with them. If they if they have their mindset on this barrel, then that's what we're going to use. Mm-hmm. But um, when I start to to set up the rifle, you know, uh, figure out how how heavy did they want the thing, you know, generally barrel weight translates into uh, better uh, harmonics, and so that's a more stable you know more stable platform to launch a bullet from. The lighter the barrel. The, the, the lower sectional modulus the barrel will have, so the less stable the, the harmonic will be. We free float pretty much everything. I mean, there's, there's never a time when free floating a rifle barrel is a bad idea because, again, you're, you're isolating that barrel, you're taking away the external uh, pressure and allowing that barrel to have a consistent harmonic shot after shot. And consistency is, uh, is always, always lends itself to better accuracy, or a better shooter, rather, a uh, better, better shooting rifle. Yeah, better right. shooting rifle. Um, so let's talk about. Um, you mentioned different uh, uh, different materials to build a barrel out of. Now, there there's always uh, there's always an argument about stainless steel versus you know whatever chromolic. Right. And um, the argument is usually you know what you talked about that that stainless has less of a harmonic resonance than chromoly does, and Well, the big the big discussion between carbon steel and and stainless, and a lot of people have prejudices against stainless steel barrels, but I think that's a throwback from years ago, um, where there was different alloys and stuff used back then and different manufacturing techniques. The the big advantage of stainless over the carbon steels is it doesn't flame erode at the at the throat as quickly as carbon steel. I mean, all barrels will flame erode over time, 
and and a lot of the military issue barrels that are carbon steel will be hard chromed. They'll have hard chrome chambers and bores to try to mitigate some of that. But the stainless barrel, you'll tend to get a lot more life out of just because they don't flame erode as bad as the carbon steel. Yeah, that's uh, so you don't think that, uh, I mean, that flame erosion aside, in your opinion, the, there's not a lot of difference in harmonics between a, a stainless and a, and a carbon steel? No. No, all other things being equal, they'll, they'll be identical. So what about the, um, we've only got about a minute left, but what about, real quick, what about the, the weight of the barrel, the thickness of the barrel, you know, bull barrel versus, mm-hmm. you know, so a different profile barrel? Right. Well, the bull, the bull barrels are going to have, like I said, a higher sectional modulus. Engineers talk about sectional modulus in terms of, uh, a, 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 uh, say in this case, a, a, a round barrel supported at both ends and how much force it takes to flex it in the middle. It's represented as sectional modulus. The the shorter and fatter something gets, the higher sectional modulus it has. So all other things being equal, if they're the same length, the, the heavier barrel will have a higher sectional modulus, and therefore it won't flex as much every time it's shot. Yeah, less opportunity for right. for yeah stress, and that's again that's that's one of those that's one of those pieces to the accuracy puzzle. Ed Vandenberg of Vandenberg Customs is here in studio with us. We're talking about all kinds of stuff, um, mainly you know accuracy and, and weapon building and the machining and the process it goes into uh, to making uh, an accurate custom built good shooting weapon so um uh ed and i were talking in the green room a little bit we sort of sort of got in a, a discussion about um about gas systems when it comes to the ar-15 and this was something that we didn't necessarily plan on talking about but i think it's a good subject um so uh, you know as you guys know your ar-15 guys uh, gas impingement is the gas system that is mainly found on the majority of ar-15s and uh, Eugene Stoner, in his infinite godlike wisdom, designed it that way, <laughs> uh, way back going back to the SP1 days, and that's uh, uh, that's how it always uh, always has been. But then you know somebody came along and put a put a gas piston on one of them, and uh, and that sort of you know made the, uh, the that drew the line, <clears throat> right? That drew the line, and uh, you know the gas piston system. Uh, is commonly found on uh, in the AK-47. That's where we see it. That's where it's most prolific. Uh, and that that design has not changed. There's never been. You know, the funny right. thing is there's 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 gas impingement AR-15s and there's piston AR-15s, but there's only gas piston AK-47s. Nobody's right. ever built a, a gas impingement. Yeah, and and that and that design really dates back to the Tokarevs back in the like starting in the late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. So you know. And Mr. Kalishnikov just kind of carried that on forward. But, yeah, there's never – they've never deviated from that. I actually got to meet Mr. Stoner back in 93 at the uh, – was it the SHOT Show or the NRA convention? It was – anyway, it was in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when he and Reed Knight were first bringing back the AR-10. And, you know, he was there signing autographs and all that kind of stuff. And he, w- he was really a grand old gentleman. He was patient with us because we were just, you know – million questions idiot kids with a million questions yeah. right so but um you know and his and his design dates you know, i think the original patent was from 59 for the direct impingement system mm-hmm. and it's you know it's a good system i don't think that anybody can make any argument about the um it, it adversely affecting accuracy or anything like that where i feel like the pistons have an advantage is with really short gas durations the direct impingement system requires a certain amount of gas duration that's from when the projectile passes the gas port 
to the time that it leaves the muzzle proper. Right, and, and, and that's how we're talking about, you know, that's why there's different gas systems, different lengths of barrels, you know, piston, right. carbine, mid-length, rifle length. Right, and direct impingement works best <clears throat> with about a 0.2 millisecond dwell time. So from the time the bullet passes the port, it starts to channel gas back into the system, back into the carrier. And from, from that moment until the bullet leaves the, the muzzle, that, that's your, your, your dwell time um, or your gas duration. And so 0.2 milliseconds seems to be the ideal point for that to work. And 223 and 308 have almost identical pressure curves, so that's why it works good for both the 308 and 223. I think where the direct impen- or the the piston systems tend to to excel is when you deviate from that that 0.2 millisecond. If you have a really short gas duration, the the when the the gas drives the piston, you have the inert weight of the piston going back to bump the carrier open. And for that purpose, I think there's a there's a place for pistons. But in in a, a regular system where you have you know a carbine length system matched to a certain length barrel or a mid length or a rifle length gas system, you know as long as you stay within those parameters, the, the direct impingement I think is a better idea. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna agree with you in that um, you know the gas again the gas the gas impingement was the original design mm-hmm. the, you know back to Eugene Stone and the SP1 mm-hmm. back to the original design. And, you know, although I like to see innovation, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, and, and I've had hundreds, literally hundreds of people come in over the years with rifles that they're direct impingement that have too short a gas duration. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it doesn't run. And I'm like, yeah, I know it doesn't run. <laughs> really? Why? And I explain, you know, go over the whole deal to them. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's, you know. And there's always going to be somebody that goes, oh, you know, my brother-in-law's got, you know, a 12 inch with a carbine gas system and it runs perfectly. Of course he does. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there's always those exceptions. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> these days where, where suppressors are so prevalent, mm-hmm. when you put a can on the end of it, now you've changed the equation completely right. because now the, the suppressor is going to direct mm-hmm. gas back into the system, representing a longer gas duration. So when you, when you have those that deviate from that, <clears throat> that standard gas paradigm, when you put a put a suppressor on there, you've changed the equation, and then oftentimes you can get away with a shorter gas duration on a direct impingement system. And that's where we to to change that gas pressure, then we you know necessarily add a maybe an adjustable gas block, right, to, right, to that that can overcome some of that sometimes with especially with the suppressor. Right, and and I think that the best adjustable gas blocks are are set up where they basically have two settings on them, and there's there's several companies that make them. You know, they're a little on the pricey side, but basically you set the thing up to run with the suppressor in one setting and without the suppressor in the other. The other thing that a lot of folks aren't aware of with the suppressor, taking them on and off, because, you know, customers that have one suppressor that they've got adapters on several rifles that they mm-hmm. can move it from one to another. Point of aim, point of impact generally de- deviates significantly with and without the suppressor. So if you zero the rifle with the suppressor on it, then take the suppressor off and shoot it. You're going to have a, a, a much different point of aim, point of impact. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think <clears throat> people really. There's a lot of there's a lot of myths out there about what a suppressor does to both the accuracy, the velocity, and the dependability, the functionality mm-hmm. of a weapon. Um, and uh, there was a, uh, I think it was a small arms. Sur- no, it wasn't small arms. It was small arms survey. I think published the study. But there was a uh, there was a deal going on where it was a gas system deal, mid length versus carbine, 
uh, about durability, about accuracy, about accuracy degradation over, I mean, it was some obnoxious numbers, like 30,000 rounds, but mm-hmm. full auto cyclic rate, which of course, you know, uh, carbine outran mid-length, but um, then they did it suppressed full auto, semi-auto in, in, in every category, except for cyclic rate, um, mid-length outperformed carbine. And, you know, carbine-length gas, mid-length, I mean, in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of the AR-15, in the life of the AR-15, you know, the mid-length gas system is relatively new. Right, yeah. yeah it's, been, it's been around since, I guess, what, the mid-'90s? Yeah. Right, and, and uh, Armalite, or, or, well, it was Eagle Arms back Eagle then, Arms, and yeah. then Armalite, they really pushed that mid-length gas system pretty hard. And, and their position was is that you're opening the, opening the bolt later in the cycle mm-hmm. with less actual PSI pressure than you, than you did with the, with the carbine. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the carbine-length gas system on a 16-inch barrel actually represents greater than that 0.2 millisecond. So you've actually got a lot more duration than you need. Mm-hmm. A carbine-length gas system is about right for about a 14-and-a-half-inch barrel. <clears throat> Excuse me, is that is that point two millisecond point? So the the mid length is actually just slightly shy of that point two milliseconds. It's like point one eight four, I believe, or something like that. But yeah, it it works. It works well. Yeah, and that fourteen and a half. Yeah, it does function well. Uh, but it's you know you mentioned uh, you mentioned gas pressures, and uh, that was one of the uh, uh, one of the indicators that this study had published. And the mm-hmm. gas pressures were. Um, they there's a lot of gas pressure difference between a mid length and a carbine. Of course, the and a whole pi- and a, lot and a pistol length too. <clears throat> don't, yeah, don't forget these days we see a lot of pistol length, especially with the the 300 blackout. Mm-hmm. It seems like no matter what length barrel manufacturers are making, it's got a pistol length gas yep. system. But I mean, if you think about it, the blackout really started out as a pistol cartridge. The the, the yeah. 300 221. Or the 300 Whisper, mm-hmm. yeah, those those were originally worked with with Thompson contenders and stuff like that, and right. it and it acts a lot more like a pistol caliber than it does a, as a rifle caliber. Yeah, it really does, and and I've had folks ask that too. They say that you know, well, why why can't we put a pistol length on a on a five five six because it's on the 300 blackout? It, right. If you if you have a pistol length gas system on a five five six, that barrel should be about seven or so inches yeah, long. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say right. you, you start getting out to the ten inch range, you start you know. Right. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's one of those things that I just don't think, and and I don't for the life of me, you know, manufacturers have to know this. I mean, they have to know this. Um, uh, I mean, you're a smart guy. I'm a marginally smart guy. Surely we can't be smarter than the manufacturers. Yeah, right. Why you do they think. put this stuff out, you know, and it's not, I don't know, do they think, I, but again, I think that, that you know, like we were talking about uh, uh, one of our phone conversations that I said that I think that um, uh, people will, they, they get a rifle, either they buy it or they build it or whatever, and especially in the AR-15 market. They get it and they take it and they shoot it. And they like the way it shoots. They feel good about it. Um, it's it's kind of you know it's it's what they've wanted. They they've kind of filled that niche that they need. It's like a twenty two for adults. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Well, you know they get it and they start shooting it. And again, it, it falls into the into the one oa one moa purview. So they're like, oh yeah, it's accurate and it shoots you know most every time. And they'll have the occasional. You know, they'll have the occasional failure on it, as a lot of guns do. Um, but for the most part, they're they're very satisfied with it. And mm-hmm. I often think that 
the people that have and not to take away and I'm talking about like sub one thousand dollar guns, you know, your and even I guess above that a little bit, but your you know, your DPMS type rifles, mm-hmm. your you know, your Armalites, some of the Armalite, right. the Armalite Eagle, the yeah. the Colt Expanse. The, the Smith and Wessons are the Smith and Wessons, right. yeah. They've yeah. done a good job on those. Right. There's 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 a ton of those out there that are pretty good rifles, you mm-hmm. know, and the value is there. They're certainly not overpriced, but but I often think that the folks that are shooting those that really love those rifles and really think that, okay, this is my AR-15 and this is, you know, it's pretty good, pretty good. I'll really like it. I'm getting a lot out of it, but they've never actually been behind a, a well-built AR-15, like a good and not, you know, not a stupid priced one, but, Mm -hmm. but something that, something that is, is really set up that really has a good barrel that really has a great gas and system on it that the bolt carrier group is right, that the trigger set up correctly, that the spring and the buffer, and that everything is set up good, that really cycles, that really shoots the way that that they are capable of. Right. You know, they really, really uh, haven't experienced that yet. So, uh, uh, you know, it's it's always the, the contrast. I mean, a lot of guys don't get the opportunity to do that. They, you know, they get what what's out there. Sure, and, and, and that's the difference between a production <clears throat> anything and a custom, you know, whatever. The custom stuff's going to be built, you know, usually purpose-built, and sure. it's going to take it beyond what the production people can do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Tony Ashcraft in the studio with me, Ed Vandenberg of Vandenberg Customs. We're talking all kinds of stuff. We were uh, we were geeking out in the last <laughs> segment on uh, gas impingement versus piston. And, yeah, man, I know some of you guys are like, oh, man, piston or die. Well, you're probably going to die because, <laughs> hey, listen, man, I, 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 I'm with Ed on this deal. Um, you know, you know, you guys, when you love the piston gas system, everybody always defaults to the AK-47 because AK-47 hasn't changed literally since 1947. It's always, uh, you know, it's always been the same. Uh, there have been a few little here and there's, but, sure. but no radical design changes. I mean, we look at the AK-47 versus the AR-15, you know, we're talking about the middle-length gas system, pistol-length gas system, those weren't around you know right. you gotta if you if you had an ar back in the early 70s late 60s it was going to be a rifle length system it was going to be a 20 inch gun right it was going to be a rifle with a rifle length gas system and you were happy about it <laughs> yeah and you were glad to have it and then they moved to the uh i guess the 14 and a half inch well yeah and for for u.s commercial the 16 inch but yeah most right. of the military rifle the little carbines were 14 and a half right yeah 14 right. and a half so which is where the where the sweet spot is with the mm-hmm. carbine length uh, right gas system so so yeah uh we're gonna we're gonna wrap up that uh impingement versus piston we'll say just stick with gas impingement you'll be happier (laughs) (laughs) yeah as as long as you as long as you stay within that duration range we talked about and and if you deviate from that again think about adding a suppressor to it yeah and and you can get away with that yeah and one of the other things i think that, that folks don't realize when we talk about gas systems is you know after the gas port and talking about that distance from where the gas port is till the end of the barrel, mm-hmm. um, there is, you know, a longer barrel generally lends itself to better range because you have a longer increased time. Increased velocity, right. Right, increased mm-hmm. velocity right. and that better range and better ballistics. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, there's diminishing returns. Of course. Sometimes eventually, you know, you can't, right. you know, you can't put a, a 48 inch barrel on a five yeah. five six because it's it's going to die probably before it gets out the end of. Well, it. actually, I've I've made barrels out to 28 inches long for AR 15 five really? five six right, and they were they were making velocity the whole time, but you reach a point of diminishing returns, and I and I really believe that the the five five six maximizes in about 20 inches a barrel. Yeah. You know, 22 24. Sure, you're going to get more velocity, but you start getting this thing as long and unwieldy, and you know. It's just is not fun to, to carry and shoot. Right. Um, so, how important is I know uh, twist rate is something that uh, that people ask a lot about, mm-hmm. and I always kind of and I'm sure you're, you're going to be you know way smarter than me on this deal, but um, I always referred to, or deferred I guess to the Greenhill formula uh, when it comes to twist rate. Mm-hmm. So you know that takes into account. Um, Bullet length and diameter, right. Right. diameter, right. coefficiency, mm-hmm. weight, right. you know, mm-hmm. caliber. It takes into a lot of things and sort sure. of comes up for folks that don't know. It sort of comes up with a number that that tells you what what the weight of the bullet ought to be for optimum performance in the twist rate, given the given all these other parameters right. that you've put into it. But how important is twist rate? And and tell folks how twist rate affects um, velocity and accuracy in a in a well it, in rifle. The, the big deal about twist rate is you need enough twist rate to stabilize a given projectile. And it's, it's the, the, based on the length of the projectile and the diameter of the projectile. And so, but you, I've never seen a, a situation other than the really crazy overbore centerfire 22s, like a lot of the Wildcats or like the Texas, the 224 Texas Trophy Hunter where you could theoretically drive the bullets fast enough that the centrifugal force would scatter the bullet. You would shoot the bullet and it would come apart when it, when it got to the muzzle of the rifle. Um, and that's usually with really light varmint bullets that are designed to come apart when they hit little bitty animals. And so, but if you think about, you know, 3,000 feet per second in a, in a 1 in 10 twist rifle, you know, you're traveling almost 300,000 RPM. <laughs> so when you think about that much RPM, and the centrifugal force, you can actually scatter bullets. But that's that's in extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. What I always try to do with customers, because especially with like the bigger 338s, where whether it's a Remington Ultramag or Lapua or an Edge, they're shooting really long, like 300 grain SMKs, and those take quite a bit. You can't shoot those in the older Lapua rifles that only had a one in 12 twist. They've got to have at least a one in 10 twist, and it. And for the guys that hand load, usually the manufacturers on those really long, heavy for bore bullets will have a recommended twist rate. And you'll see that in the loading manuals or wherever you're buying the bullets from, they'll tell you, hey, you need at least this twist rate. Um, uh, someplace like Schillen that sells lots of barrels in, in, in different twist rates for a given caliber, they'll have, you know, f- up to this bullet weight for this twist rate. Uh, what I always tell people, though, is when in doubt, go faster. It used to, the, the conventional wisdom was the faster the twist rate, the more it would run the pressure up. And the thinking was, well, you know, you're, you're asking the bullet to, to engrave at a faster twist, and therefore it's going to make the pressures higher. Mm-hmm. That's really not true. Uh, I, I saw one study where they, they went all the way down to one-in-one one twist rate. And, and the, the, the pressure curves on the thing were all very, very similar. When you got to one-in-two one turn in two inches, it spiked pretty bad, and then one in one, it went crazy. But all the other twist rates, they started from like one in 12 and worked their way down. They were all very similar. 
The one thing that a faster twist rate will do, um, when you're shooting really long ranges out to the capability of the cartridge that you're shooting, and that's generally accepted as the point where the bullet goes from supersonic to subsonic, that transonic shift uh, causes a destabilizing a harmonic on the projectile, and groups tend to open up after that range. So for like a, a 150 grain 308 bullet, that range is about 800 yards. People shoot further than that with 308s, but then they generally step up to 168 or 175 grain bullets that have a higher ballistic coefficient that will carry that out further. But what the guys that shoot really long range found out was if they would go to a faster, say you're shooting your, your 175 grain 308 out of a 1 in 10 twist barrel, if you would go to a 1 in 8 twist, that it would tend to mitigate part of that transonic shift destabilizing harmonic. So... Like I said, when in doubt, go faster. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, the because the, you know you see um, <clears throat> some people, especially in the five five six world, you know it's it's one in seven, it's one in eight. And if you go into the to a two two three wild cut barrel, mm-hmm. you know you can get some some differences. But but one in seven, you know, I always tell people that people that I build guns for that, that yeah, if you if you've got an option one in seven, mm-hmm. you know, go lower. That's that's better. Right. It'll stabilize everything from the fifty five grain bullets all the way up to the seventy five and eighty grain bullets. Of course nowadays people are looking at ninety and ninety five grain mm-hmm. bullets, you know, with the, the with the two twenty four Valkyrie out now. Right. And so that one in seven starting to look a little dodgy. <laughs> you know, may need to start getting into the one in six, six and a half, yeah, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, when you start getting out there that far. Right. And I think that's uh, that's one of those things because people talk a lot about uh, also about, you know, extreme ranges. I think, you know, here in Texas, um, hunters, you know, realistically, you know, I mean, it's it's like a fishing story, you know. Right. It was this oh, big. it's a thousand yards. Yeah, people a, throw out that figure all the time. Yeah, a thousand yeah. yards. I'm Most people so. don't have any idea how far long, that really is, right? Good Lord. Yeah, that's a right. long way. Most, most, most people take deer at about 100 to 150 yards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you legitimately kill an animal at at 300 yards that's a long freaking way right that's a long long way and that and there's really not that much room here especially in in the southern part of texas there's well going out out, you know going out to south texas you'll see some wide open ranges Mm -hmm. and some bigger deer where people are shooting muleys and stuff like that yeah or exotics people shooting neil guy and stuff i mean it it takes a lot i mean it's basically a 600 pound antelope and that takes a lot to kill and they tend to be pretty wary animals, so mm-hmm. getting within about 400 yards of one, you know, and th- those are the guys that hunt with the, the 338s and stuff. Yeah, that's a you got to have a, a, a sledgehammer to hit one of those. Really, yeah, you really, right. really do. Um, my buddy, uh, uh, Charlie Melton at Charlie Mike Precision, he's a Guinness certified world record holder. He had a 5,000 yard shot, he's doing a 6,000 mm-hmm. yard shot with a 408 Tejas mm-hmm. uh, in December. And uh, we were talking about, you know, how to get it. And he said, you know, uh, he said most people, the fund, we're talking about fundamentals in, in shooting and, and you know, uh, getting your scope doped in and, and you know, the, all the things that go into planning the shot. Right. He said that, you know, up to about 450, maybe 500-ish yards that before then – all those fundamentals are kind of the same, but after that, stuff gets crazy. Right, stuff gets <laughs> right, a little right. silly. And he said, once you get out past a thousand yards or so, it, it really gets. I mean, he was talking about curvature of the earth and the rotation, sure. getting out five thousand yards, right. and, and that seems yeah. like. You know, it seems like something. And have you seen the scope mounts on those? The scope is yeah. looking here, and the rifle is here. Yeah, because yeah. it's got such a right. Yeah, they um, man, they use a uh, 
they use a periscope for right. spotting out there right. to the, the 5,000 yard. And he even said that um, that this for the 6,000 yard shot, they're going to take two rifles because uh, when the rifle gets heated up, sure. it changes the ballistics. So all those crazy things that, you know, if we're shooting out, if you and I go out to a, a 200 yard range, we can take any bolt action gun or AR-15 or AR-10 off the shelf and just hammer the dog crap out of it out there all day. And we're probably not going to get a whole lot of change, right. you know, in our, in our accuracy, but uh, you know, those guys doing that stuff, it's just, a, it's just a complete different. Right. I mean, mean, you start to have to factor in atmospheric conditions and humidity and stuff like yeah, that. It's barometric That's, pressure. Right, yeah. I mean, literally you do all sure. that stuff goes into it, right. you know, in, in air temperature, it's, it's, it, it's nuts. It's right. really, it's really mind-boggling. I, I've talked to that guy on the phone, and we've we've had a bunch of conversations, and, and it just, uh, man, I feel so much dumber after <laughs> after I get off the phone with him. But um, but that just goes to me, what you're talking about, your experience, I mean, what you've seen and, and what you know, the knowledge that you have that goes into building these things. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a guy like Charlie, and there's a bunch of other people out there that just have this, you know, just intimate knowledge that is so much further, you know, above what what we as consumers think and that that's kind of how we you know that's kind of how we do but but that's right you know in 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 our defense and i'll 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 speak for the other dumb guys like me out there in our defense that's the consumer market because again most of us don't get out there we're not going to shoot that far i mean i would uh uh, you know i'd love to go out and shoot a thousand yards but there's Mm -hmm. realistically there's not not too many places that you can do that right no not a whole lot you can go out and and do that and then you know what weapon are you going to do it with and Mm -hmm. be be reasonable because uh, again a thousand yards man that's well, it's a it's a discipline all into itself i mean the whole the whole long range shooting thing people get excited about it and they've you know seen it in movies and heard yeah. about it stuff like that but actually getting out there and doing it mm-hmm. you, you really have to be dedicated to it but it's like any shooting discipline whether you're you know shooting uspsa or idpa or bullseye or you know any of the rifle disciplines silhouette you know it just depends on how deep you want to get into yep. that but there's equipment to do that that's pretty specialized. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, if people want to find Ed Vandenberg at Vandenberg Customs, how do they do that? Well, my website is VandenbergCustom.com. Not a lot of creativity there. It's VandenbergCustom.com. It's original. Right. Um, and my shop's in Pearland. Uh, address is 6831 Broadway in Pearland, Texas. And... Um, yeah, if, if people look at my website and see stuff, there's a link to my email there. Ask questions. I'll be glad to, you know, answer what I can and help people through what they need to be helped through with. Yeah, that's the thing I want you to guys guys to know that uh, although, you know, Ed's shop is a custom builder, you know, he's not one of these guys who's going to look down his nose at you. He's really going to uh, take into account what you need, ask you questions to get the gun that is the best gun for you and what you're trying to do. And I think that is important. That is where the values are. Remember, guys, price is what you pay and value is what you get. And Vandenberg Customs, they got all the value you're ever going to want. Ed has a wealth of knowledge, good guy, easy to talk to, and uh, just will put you in the right place. So if you're looking for uh, custom-built anything, uh, go see Ed Vandenberg at Vandenberg Customs. That's going to wrap it up. Ed, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Join us next Tuesday. Our guest will be Sam Koontz of Big Horn Armory. We'll be talking about the AR500 Automax. Don't miss it. Tuesday afternoon, Vinyl Draft Radio. You guys be armed, be smart, be safe. We'll see you next time. Second Amendment. 
the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Bullet points on Vinyl Draft Radio.